Good morning. My name is Danny Potter. I'm going to be reading the uh, sermon text for you this morning. Please open your Bibles to Romans 10. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 13. Um, if you need a copy of God's Word, there's Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and our text is on page 1005 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that copy home with you as a gift from grace to you. Hear the word of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wondrous simplicity of the gospel. We need only believe in Christ and confess his name, and we will be saved. Maybe today is that day for someone listening right now. I pray you would open all of our hearts to receive the message of faith anew, to be awed and enamored by it, and most of all, Lord, to rest in it. Thank you that Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly on our behalf so that we may look to it as a wise counselor for our lives instead of the means of our righteousness. Thank you that you're a God who richly blesses all who simply call upon your name. And thank you that we can have deep, abiding assurance that in Christ we will never be put to shame. Guide Pastor Matthew by your spirit as he preaches the word of Christ to us this morning. In Jesus' blessed name, amen. We'll turn again in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Christopher Ash writes this. Christianity is not about people seeking God and finding Him. It is about some people seeking God and not finding Him while others do not seek him, but are found by him. If it was about people seeking God and finding him, the new creation would be a prigsty. A prig is a self-righteously moralistic person who behaves as if superior to others. So if it was about 
people seeking God and finding him, the new creation would be a prigsty of stuck-up people boasting about how sensible they were to seek him and how clever to have searched so effectively. Instead, it will be full of people with looks of amazement on their faces, astonished at the kindness of the Messiah who first found them. I love that picture of Christianity from Mr. Ash and what it says about who's in and how and why they are in. You know, I hope that you don't get tired of me saying this, but every day I walk around our little town and when I show up at this campus to study and work, when I get a cup of coffee with a friend at Howell Mercantile and Coffee, or when I take a prayer walk on North Backbone, every day I chuckle that I get to be here. I giggle. I was coming down from going up to Boss Lake yesterday, looking through pine trees and aspens with the sun shining and the rays moving through the trees, and I giggled out loud that I get to be here. I think if you could see me in those moments, what you would see is a look of amazement on my face, astonished at the kindness of our sovereign, gracious Father to bring our family here, I think you would see joy. And this is just a taste. This is just a taste of amazement and astonishment. It is just a teeny tiny picture of what it will be like when Jesus comes back and all of those who believe in him are ushered into a new heavens and a new earth that will far exceed the beauty of this earth in this age. And while hard to believe, when we look around and we see the beauty around us in our valley, especially at this time of year, while it's hard to believe, we are going to stand one day next to each other and we are going to be looking around with astonishment on our faces and giggles in our bellies and exclamations in our mouths. We will be grabbing hold of each other as we are in a new heavens and new earth and be like, can you believe this? Look at this. Can you believe it? I, I can't believe you're here, but can you believe this? This is amazing. And what Mr. Ash is on about is that we will not be looking at each other in that moment, like hugging each other like, oh my gosh, look at this. We'll not be looking at each other going, man, you are good. Like, I mean, like you really, you deserve to be here. Yeah, I know. I know, I lived, I lived a good life. I did some really awesome things. I'm pretty awesome actually. I mean, it's really no wonder that he let me in because, you see, I was smart enough to find him because that's how smart I am. Like, that's how much knowledge I have. So, yeah, you shouldn't be surprised that I'm here. What a prigsty that would be. You see, instead of celebrating ourselves, we will be celebrating our Father's mercy and love, our Messiah's kindness and compassion. We'll see him and we'll say, this is amazing grace. I can't believe you laid down your life for me.
You saw every bit of me. You saw me through and through. You saw straight to my heart. And you said, I'll, I'll die for you. We'll be amazed at the Spirit's power and enabling presence to have carried us all the way along, right in to eternity. And we'll be walking around eternity with constant silly grins on our faces and amazement. And we will be absolutely gobsmacked the entire, for millions and millions of years because of what the Father and the Son and the Spirit did. A question. If the way that we get to that eternal life in that place is not by a life of accomplishment, how do we get there? Because whether you know it or not today, here in this place or on that live stream, you want to get there. I think that's what this life, filled with its suffering and poor decisions and painful regrets and war-torn countries with its addictions and abuses, poverty and famine, hunger and homelessness, stress and anxiety. I mean, there is a great deal of brokenness in this world, is there not? And there are a great many people struggling with knowing how to live, how to get a little blessing. Just, I just want a little blessing in this life that at times seems so overwhelmed with curse. I mean, isn't this why we have the use of antidepressants skyrocketing in the Western, seemingly prosperous nations of our world? Isn't it because people are in the grip of despair? People are seeking. They're seeking answers to their pain. They're seeking deliverance and salvation and rescue. They want to know how things can be turned around and set right. How we can live with each other with grace and peace and patience. They want someone, anyone, to show them how to live. And they are so often looking in the wrong places and trusting in the wrong people and believing the wrong message to find their way to really living. This isn't a new problem for humanity. It's an ancient problem going back to the very beginning. And it was a problem in the first century among the people Paul was living with and the, the people that he was trying to serve in Rome. It was a problem that both Jews and non-Jews were trying to address, each in their own way, but each in unbelief. For unbelieving non-Jews or Gentiles... Their issue was, and it still is, that they were trying to live by their own law, serving gods of their own creation. For unbelieving Jews, their issue was very similar. They were trying to live by the Mosaic law. I mean, at least they had their eyes on the true God, right? But they were trying to do it in their own power. And Paul's solution is the same for both of them. The good news of life in this age and the age to come has always been the work of God. It has always been a work of the heart leading to a confession in the mouth resulting in rescue. And Paul boldly, <laughs> I love him for it, 
Paul boldly proclaims this good news to every Jew and every non-Jew, struggling and languishing in believing all the wrong people and all the wrong messages. He proclaims the Messiah is the end of the law resulting in righteousness for all who believe on him. Romans 10, 4. Now, we know that as Paul says this, at this particular moment, even as this news is for all people, it's for everyone, he's got the Jews a bit front and center in his mind, in his thinking and his arguments. For his heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their rescue. Right, that's verse one of chapter 10. And even, and, and it's his heart, even while he's an apostle to the Gentiles, which we saw all the way in chapter one, verse five. And here's the thing, here's the thing about good evangelists, people who are skilled at at good newsing unbelievers, that's what evangelists are, we we good news people. Here's the thing about people that are skilled at that, they're pretty aware of where the people they are trying to reach are at. They're aware of what their struggles are what they might be believing, and how they might be confused. They're aware of that so that they can reach them where they are, so that they can address where they are wrongly trusting, so that they can then be rescued from false belief into truly living both in the present and in the age to come, which is exactly what Paul then does. You see, he knows that unbelieving Jews know the law of Moses. He knows how important Moses is to them. How much they read the Mosaic Law found in the scriptures of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so when he's trying to show them how to have true life now and how to have true life forever in the age to come, when he wants to point them to God and how it has always been a work of his grace and mercy to change hearts so that they confess belief, that's exactly where he goes, to the writings of Moses. You can read this about him too in Acts. I've been reading in Acts last week and and over and over again it says, and he showed them Jesus in the scriptures. Well, what scriptures did he have? These scriptures, not these scriptures. So he brought them right to the writings of Moses. And as long as Paul is going there, I think he figured, well, I might as well go to the climax and culmination of all of Moses' teaching there at the end of Deuteronomy. What we have in Deuteronomy is essentially five sermons from Moses that he's preaching to, to God's people on the cusp of entering into the land of promise. A series of sermons that crescendos all the way up to 28, 29, and then the magnificent chapter 30. And it's chapter 30 that Paul mainly quotes here in Romans 10. To which we should ask, why? Well, to answer that question, I went back to Deuteronomy on Thursday morning and I slowly read chapter 9 because he quotes a bit of chapter 9 there in chapter 10, verse 6. And then I read chapter 28, chapter 29, and chapter 30. And they really are amazing. It was so good to refresh myself. Moses was a good preacher. And then I happen to read N.T. Wright because I, I go to Professor Wright because he's such a good historian and he helps me get into the first century so that I can understand just what an unbelieving in the Messiah Jesus Jew would have been thinking and trusting in. So what I want to do is give you some quotes over the next few minutes 
that are adjusted a bit with my own observations so that you can kind of see, answer that question, why? Why, Paul, did you go to Deuteronomy? Many Jews of Paul's day had studied Deuteronomy very carefully, especially chapter 30, because it is full of promise and life. You see, they were hoping to find out what God was going to do for them after they had suffered for years at the hands of pagan nations. So if you read chapter 30 in Deuteronomy and those leading up to it, what you hear is a story of what is going to happen to Israel in the days to come. So it's not surprising that Jews in Paul's day would be reading about that. What's going to happen? We're suffering under Roman oppression. What happens after that? If Israel keeps God's commands, his law, if they obey, well, God promises blessings. But if they break his law, he promises curse and punishment. And what's striking is that in the sermon, Moses says, you're going to disobey, right? He's speaking to them on the cusp of the land of promise. And he says, here's all the things that you're going to do. And if you do these things, you'll get blessing. And if you do these things, you'll be cursed. And I know what you're going to do. You're going to do these things. I don't want you to, but you are. And the most shocking and devastating curse of all is that they are not going to live in the land of promise very long. A land flowing with milk and honey, a land of fruitfulness and abundance and peace and joy where everything was supposed to be heading and then to extend that over all of the earth. Instead, they're going to be sent off into exile. That's what chapters 28 and 29 are about. And then in chapter 30... Moses turns his attention in the sermon to what will happen after that exile and he gives them a fresh word of hope. He says that when they come to their senses, I love that, chapter 30, verse one, when you finally wake up, if you turn back to God, even in the pain and grief and turmoil and confusion and suffering and stress and anxiety and brokenness and despair of exile, separation from God. If you turn, he'll rescue you. He'll rescue you. And then he says, here's how that's going to happen. Even then in the old covenant, in the time of Moses, Life in their presence and life forever would not come by their power to walk out of exile. No. <laughs> no. God promised to change their hearts so that they could at last keep his law as they had always intended to do. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Paul is clear about what Moses wrote regarding the righteousness in this life from the law. The human being who does them, look at 10.5. The human being who does them will live by them. He's quoting there Leviticus 18.5. And Moses further writes in Deuteronomy 30.11.15, which Paul quotes, this law that I give to you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. See, today I've set before you life and prosperity. And that's exactly what the early Jews believed. Even pre-Christian Paul believed this. Read Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. That the law actually was quite doable. That in keeping the law was both a way of life and a way to life. So the promise in Leviticus, quoted here by Paul, was thought to set out the conditions for receiving life now under the covenant and receiving life eternal in the future. Says Michael Bird, 
for Paul and many Jews, Leviticus 18.5, with support from Deuteronomy, was a summary of the entire law. It was essentially the John 3.16 of Second Temple Judaism. Do the law, you will live. But how would that kind of life and prosperity happen? Because it was clear that it was not happening for Jews in Paul's day. They were not living free in the land of promise. They were under Roman oppression. Their life and world was filled with suffering and the curses of Deuteronomy 29. Can we not relate to them? They longed for a circumcision of the heart as spoken of in Deuteronomy chapter 30 so that they could finally and truly love God and be rescued by him and live now and forever. That's what they were longing for. And so Paul speaks their language in response to that in verses six through eight. Listen to how one author rephrases Paul's response in 10, 6 to 8. Keep your eyes on the text as I read this rephrasing so you can see the connecting points. Listen, friends. Moses certainly provided the premise for Jewish pursuit of righteousness and life, the observation of the law. The person who successfully does these things will live by them. That sounds kosher, I know, but it is not the whole story because while possible, you're not doing it because you're not fully trusting God. You see, the righteousness from faith says, so, so what Paul's doing there, right, is he's treating now the righteousness from faith as kind of a character in the story, just like Moses is a character in the story. So here's what the righteousness from faith, he enters into the picture along here with the law and says, from his vantage point in the present, in the age of Jewish Jesus Messiah, Jewish exile was caused by Jews not keeping the law fully. And the only way their exile can end is not by them striving in their own strength, but in a different way, through the Messiah. And please understand this. If you reject this truth, says the righteousness from faith, if you reject the Messiah, a couple of things are probably going to result if you reject him. Number one, it could be that you're going to try and do it in your own power. You're going to try and establish your own righteousness. But do you remember what Moses said about that? Do not say in your heart. Okay, that's Deuteronomy 9, 4 in Romans 10, 6. Do not say in your heart. And what was all that about? If you remember, if you, if you go and read Deuteronomy 9 this afternoon, you're going to see it was about them thinking they were all that. They were deserving of life in the present and future simply because of who they were. As if it was anything other than God choosing them simply because he did. And the other result from rejecting the truth of the Messiah is that you'll end up simply denying what God has done for us in the Messiah. And because of that, you're going to complain that God hasn't brought his saving word yet. You've been waiting for it. Your longing is gnawing away at you. You're wondering when rescue will come. And if you deny Messiah, you'll end up spending your life complaining that God hasn't brought the saving message of his fresh act of grace to you yet. You'll be all melodramatic like, who will ascend into heaven? As if to bemoan that no one can launch himself into the sky to bring us some rescue from above. And that would be a denial that the Messiah has already come down from God. 
from the heavenly realms to redeem his people. Or you'll complain, well, who will descend into the abyss? As if to bemoan that, that no one can go to an underworldly journey to bring us back some salvation from below. And that would be to deny that Messiah has already died and gone into the deep and risen again to bring us freedom. So don't complain and bemoan those things. For that would be to deny Jesus. And listen, what does this character, what does this righteousness from faith say? Well, he speaks a word of Moses with a fresh interpretation and understanding. He says, the message is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. Romans 10, 8, Deuteronomy 30, 14. And if you go back to Deuteronomy 30, 14, do you know what Moses says in the very next sentence? The message is near you and in your mouth and in your heart so that you may follow it. And I think that what Paul is thus saying to Jews mired in unbelief and wondering when exile and curse will be over and promise and blessing will come is this. The Messiah is the fulfillment of the law resulting in righteousness for all who believe in him. The Messiah is the only one to do what they could not. And thus the Messiah is the one and only pathway to covenant renewal. Oh, my Jewish friend, I can hear Paul saying, do you see? Are you astonished? Are you amazed? It is the Messiah. He's come and he's everything that we need. <laughs> he's walking around giggling, chuckling, because he's got the answer for unbelieving Jews. And then, and then he makes the message, verse 8, the message. What is this message that should be in my mouth and in my heart? Well, he makes it abundantly obvious to the most casual observer. The message that was there in the preaching of Moses is the same and fulfilled message that is in the proclamation of Paul. Verse 8, this is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is master and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. We cannot find a simpler statement and explanation of what it means to be a Christian and how to become a Christian. Becoming and being a disciple of Jesus and a child of God involves two organs, your mouth and your heart. And we're familiar with both, aren't we? We use phrases like, I love you with all my heart. Or, I believe in that with all my heart. And when we say that, what are we saying? <laughs> we're saying we're all in, right? That our emotions, our thinking, our souls, every single part of us is fully committed. And Paul says that this is exactly what is necessary for unbelieving Jews and non-Jews. If you're looking for life, 
If you're looking how to make sense of this life and find fullness and joy in this life, if you want to be free from fear of what may happen when you die, and if you want to know that you will have life forever in a new heavens and a new earth, then believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And you will be made right, verse 10, and you will be saved, verse 9. But that's not all. Because if that's all you do is believe in your heart, you're, you're incomplete. It hasn't happened yet. You must confess with your mouth. You must engage this organ. Our convictions, Paul is saying, cannot remain internal and hidden. We cannot leave people guessing at what they are, even if we think that they should get that by how we act, operate, or behave, that our actions speak louder than words, and that's enough. Sorry, that isn't enough, and it won't work. We need to use our mouths. We need to profess and confess what we believe and who we are trusting in. We must make, listen to me, we must make our allegiances clear. If you are looking for life, if you are looking for how to make sense of this life and find fullness and joy in this life, if you want to be free from fear of what may happen when you die and know that you will have life forever in a new heavens and a new earth, if you want to be bound with a community of others who are making the same confession as you, who are making the same proclamation as you, thereby strengthening you and living this life with you, then confess with your mouth that Jesus is king and you will be rescued verse 10 and you will be saved verse 9 because here's what the scripture says which means here is what the God who made heaven and earth who made you who designed all of this to work the way it does and who is the only one who has the power to heal your brokenness and give you direction and provide life and blessing in this life and usher you in to astonishing life forever in a new heavens and a new earth. Here is what God says. Because that's what that means when it says, here's what the scripture says. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Listen to this now. This is amazing. Listen to what he says. Everyone. (laughs) Everyone who believes on Jesus will not be put to shame. Do you know why? Because there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Because the same master of all, richly blesses all who call on him. Richly. He's generous. He doesn't hold back. He just gives it. We saw last week. He's recklessly extravagant with his grace. For everyone, everyone, who calls on the name of the master, Jesus, will be saved. (laughs) Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Everyone, say that with me, everyone 
Huh. Do you know what I hear? <clears throat> you know what I hear when I, when I hear Romans 10, 3 to 14? I hear and see the good news plus safety plus time. Be in a place where anyone can grow one step closer to Jesus. You see, friends, Romans 10, 3 to 14 is glorious good news. It is the message of rescue and life for bad people. Who's a bad people? Come on now, get them up. Get them up. Get them up. Y'all bad. <laughs> but you have glorious good news. You have a message of rescue and life for you through the finished work of the Messiah and the endless power of the Holy Spirit. <sighs> ooh, ooh. See the hair, how it's raised? That's good news. What I love about Romans 10, 4 to 13 is that it is yet another of the multiple exposures that we need of this good news. The constant immersion we need in this good news to dive in and splash around and enjoy its simple and yet profound and life-altering truths to experience. Just like, have you ever been to one of those water parks? You know, those water parks, and they got that dealy where, where uh, they got something under the water that's doing some kind of thing that creates like big waves, right? Have you, have you ever been, or, or have you ever been to the ocean and you're standing on the beach and those waves are just like crashing in, like roaring in and you go out and you can feel the power of the wave as it hits you? That's what we need of the good news. Wave upon wave upon wave of grace and truth just crashing into us and then diving in and just splashing around and putting up the water. Like, oh, it's so good. It's just so good. And we need that according to the Bible. According to the Bible. It's exactly what we find in Romans 10, 3 to 14. Do you see it? We find here that we stand together in this community of faith, in this people of Jesus, right here, confessing with our mouths that Jesus is king. We swear allegiance to him. Dear friend, family, you will not find the answer to the difficulties of this life by swearing allegiance to any other system of belief. Your loyalties cannot be divided. You will not find the answers and the people that we are trying to reach will not find the answers by us confessing anything other than Jesus as king. You will not find the answers by swearing allegiance to secularism or humanism. You will not find the answers to what you are longing for in life by confessing with your mouth that it is the Republican Party. Look out. Or the Democratic Party. It's going to upset everybody. Or Trump. Or Biden. Or Democratic Socialists. 
or whatever other affiliation or group that you've been leaning on, whatever other Messiah you have been trusting in, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And our confession, the beauty of our confession is that it not only binds us to Jesus, but it binds us to each other. Holding fast to our confession has always meant we hold fast to each other. There is a unity and a bond in the spirit we share when we, plural, all of us, together, proclaim, together, Jesus is king. There is a strength that comes, like a cord of three strands that cannot be broken. We do not stand alone, and so we will not fail. This is good news. You are not alone at Grace Church. I see the good news in this text, and I see safety in this text. Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. A non-accusing environment. No embarrassing anyone. No manipulation. No oppression. No condescension. No shame. No disappointment. But respect and sympathy and understanding where bad people like us can come and unburden our souls. A church, an environment where no one seeking Jesus, Jew or non-Jew, has anything to fear. How is that possible? Because the same master of all richly blesses all who call on him. That's how it's possible. Because everyone who calls on the name of the master, Jesus, and confesses him will be saved. That's how it's possible. For everyone, family, for absolutely everyone. Listen to me now. Listen closely. To all who are weary and need rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who feel worthless and wonder if God even cares. To all who are weak and desire strength. To all who sin and need a savior. Grace Church is a safe place because we have nothing to offer you but Jesus. And it does not matter what you have done. It doesn't matter. Some of you are here today and all you can see is that you've made so many poor decisions and you've screwed up so much that this must surely be beyond you. You're terrified of people finding out the kind of person that you really are. You're so ashamed of the years that you have wasted. Some of you are here today and you've been so confused and so lost and so alone You've tried to find God and Jesus in other ways, maybe through other systems, and, they, and all of them ended up being, all they ended up being was a kind of law that you kept failing at. You didn't find life there or joy or fellowship or grace or love. 
Some of you are here today and you just feel swallowed up by life. It feels like no matter where you turn, there is danger and grief and pain and suffering and brokenness and there's been no one in your life who comes alongside and rather than critiquing you or or offering easy breezy platitudes, there's been no one to just simply and compassionately extend sympathy and understanding so that you could just unburden your soul. And some of you are here today and you have spent so many years denying Jesus and rejecting Jesus. And you've done that either as someone who has spent so much of your life being so very bad or has spent so much of your life trying to be so very good and both of you are rejecting Jesus. And it's only made you his enemy. And for every person in a category like that, you're acutely aware of your inability to save yourself by law-keeping or by any other means. You've come to the end of yourself, maybe, which is a really good place to be, actually, because you have nothing to fear in Jesus because Jesus is the ally of his enemies because Jesus is the defender of the guilty no matter how many poor decisions you have made because Jesus is the justifier of the inexcusable you (laughs) you and all your screwing up and idiotic behavior He's the justifier of the inexcusable. And Jesus is the friend of sinners. He's the friend of those lost and alone. He's the friend of the one swallowed up by life. And he's ready to to receive you. He's ready to take you in and wrap his arms around you and give you all the sympathy and love and grace and compassion that you need. He's ready to let you unburden your soul. And this church opens wide her arms with a welcome from that Jesus. We're not perfect, but we aspire to be like him. I so want to be like him. And this place is for everyone. And if you call on him, Worship team, would you come up? And if you call on him, and if you believe in him, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is king, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And after that happens, do you know what we'll do for you? We'll give you lots of time. We'll welcome you into what we hope, what we're aspiring is a pressure-free space here at Grace to rethink your life at a deep level. And you know why we'll do that? Because you're a complicated person. You're a complicated person. And it takes a lot of time to rethink our lives at a really deep level. And there won't be any pressure on you in that. There will be no deadlines on your growth. There will be urgency, but not hurry. And do you know why that is? 
because your brothers and sisters with you here know really well by our own experience that, ta- that change doesn't happen quickly. We forget that sometimes, so try and be patient with us too. We forget how long it took us to get where we are. Can we just all stop for a second and remember how long it took to get where we are, knowing Jesus and knowing this Bible? God is patient. (laughs) That's a good spot for an amen. God is patient. You know one of my favorite ways that the old King James said it? God is long-suffering. Oh, and we need a God who's long-suffering, do we not? The good news and safety and time. It just might be a place where someone could grow.